Let's pray and we'll look at uh, Matthew 10. Loving Father, we pray that you would um, make eternal realities uh, large to us this morning and help us to see our lives in the light of them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, when my kids were little, um, sometimes they tried to hold us to ransom by threatening to go ballistic if they didn't get what they want, as most kids do. Uh, and at, sub at such times, my favourite phrase was, we don't give in to terrorists. Um, <laughs> not that they understood what I was talking about, they just thought, oh, there's Dad trying to say something clever again. Uh, but they were holding the detonation button, they were threatening to press it if they didn't get their way. Uh, they had that look in their eye, and uh, I knew that if I gave in and gave them what they wanted, then they would just do this every single time. So my approach was, we don't negotiate with terrorists, you can just do your worst. Um, of course, I say that that was my approach. I mean it was my approach when I didn't give in, uh, <laughs> which was sometimes. We all like peace and harmony, and uh, we try to preserve peace and harmony whenever we can. But of course, there are times when keeping peace means letting go of too much, and we have to cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. The Ukrainians, of course, have recently made this choice. They could have opted for peace. They could have let themselves be overrun by the Russians without a fight, uh, but they'd have lost their nation, so the price was too high. They let go of peace and they went to war against their invaders. Some things are more important than peace. To many people, Jesus is the kind of guy who would do anything to be nice. Uh, that's what they think love means. It's just telling everybody what they want to hear. But love does not mean peace at any price. And Jesus, of course, knew that. And so he wasn't scared of becoming unpopular. And he knew that division and conflict is a necessary part of why he came to this world. Of course, Jesus wasn't one of those abrasive people who just picks fights all the time. But if you know, that what, if you know what you're about, and if you insist on standing up for what is right and true, then you will divide people, and sometimes you'll be really annoying to people, even with, if you're not aggressive. There are some Christians around today who think that we must be doing something wrong if we become unpopular in the world. So they either think we have to change our message in order to suit the times, or they think we need to learn how to preach our message so winsomely that everyone's going to love us as well as become Christians. But of course, the first approach, changing our message, is unfaithful. And the second approach, uh, being clever enough to never to offend anyone, is unrealistic. Um, so how should Christians expect to be received by the world? We're in Matthew 10. Jesus is sending his disciples into mission. He's sending the 12 on a local training mission, but with a view to the big universal global mission that we're all a part of now. And as you heard last week, up to verse 15, Jesus is, was telling his disciples how to conduct themselves in this mission. But then from verse 16 onwards, he warns us about how the world will treat us, how, how, how it will treat his disciples. And of course, these issues are very real. Um, Jesus speaks very close to home. He's not just talking about the division that happens out there in the world, but the division that happens within families. And of course, some Christians deal with this every day as part of their reality. A girl becomes a Christian. Her parents don't understand what's happened. Uh, she suddenly has new friends and new influences, and she's at church all the time. They sense that things have changed. They see that sh she is changing. 
They fear that they're losing her to this cult of Christians. Uh, They're troubled, they're angry, they don't believe, so they don't necessarily approve. Um, And of course, the same thing happens between husbands and wives, between friends, in workplaces and wherever else. One person becomes a Christian, another doesn't understand and feels threatened and hostile. No one tried to make things hard, but Jesus causes division. And it can't be any other way, because after all, there is no other way to be saved. And it is so good to know Jesus. And God deserves everything. So we can't let him go. But not everybody believes. And so firstly here, we have a warning from Jesus in verses 16 to 23 to be ready for hostility. And there are three ways of being ready here. The first is, verse 16, be ready to suffer knowingly. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Uh, There's a whole zoo there in that verse. There's four different animals for us to think about. Uh, Firstly, there's a picture of us and the world, sheep among wolves. Of course, wolves are killers. Sheep are not killers. Sheep eat grass. Wolves eat sheep. Um, The world will savage Christians and the church. And Christians and the church have no means of defending ourselves. We're the sheep. And yet Jesus very unapologetically says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves to be exposed and to be mauled. You want to hope he has a good reason for doing that. But, of course, the mauling that he's talking about is is only an earthly mauling. Uh, What we know that others don't is that, as the Apostle Paul puts it, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. And so as we go out as sheep among wolves, we should be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Shrewd means knowing what you're doing and why it makes sense. Innocent means being rightly motivated and having your heart in the right place. Jesus, of course, is the model here. He was shrewd as a snake, innocent as a dove at the same time. He wasn't naive. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was facing. But nor was he sneaky or selfish in the way he went about it. He was pure. Uh, He got the job done, and we know what it cost him to do it. So firstly, be ready to suffer knowingly. Secondly, be ready to witness openly, verses 17 to 20. So Jesus mentions the local Jewish mission, verse 17, you'll be flogged in the synagogues. And then he mentions the larger international mission, verse 18, you'll be hauled before governors and kings and Gentiles. But that official persecution uh, would be an opportunity to witness publicly for Christ on a world stage. And if little disciples find that a a little bit scary, what if I... Um, can't say anything sensible when I'm hauled before governors and kings. Jesus says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will help you and he will speak through you. He's not saying there, don't bother um, with preparing. He's just saying you can trust the Spirit to help you, so you just need to be open about who you are. So be ready to witness openly. And then thirdly, he says, be ready to endure steadfastly. And he speaks of division within families in verse 21 even to the point of family members betraying each other to death because they're Christian. Um, 
in an honor and shame culture, like first century culture, one person becoming a Christian could shame a whole family and some might do drastic things to restore the family's honour. We'll get rid of the Christian. We'll, we'll hand them over to death. Of course, our culture is not so extreme, but, of course, there still can be tension in the home over somebody's Christian faith. There can still be a cost in the home for being a Christian. Uh, I at least know people, as you might too, who, who've been booted out of their families because they became a Christian. Jesus says in verse 22... You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. In other words, don't be surprised by anybody hating you, even your own family, but you have to hang on to Christ. There will come a time when the mission is over and it'll be too late to preach the gospel anymore. So we have to get on with it now. And I think that's the point of verse 23, where he says to them, keep moving you'll not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He's talking about the local mission there, uh, and he's probably referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 when he says when the Son of Man comes um, in judgment on Jerusalem. But it's, he's also pointing to the final judgment of the whole earth when the Son of Man returns, the second coming, and the need to, to keep that end in view. There's only limited time to spread the gospel before it's too late. There's work to do and the clock is ticking and the end is coming. So that's the context in which we uh, carry out the mission. So Jesus warns us to be ready for hostility. Christian mission will be opposed, sometimes violently. The world won't approve of Christian faith. And of course, the world has teeth. But then he moves on in verses 24 to 31 to give us some encouragement and tell us why, why we shouldn't fear and there are four reasons not to fear here. None of them tell us, don't worry, you're not going to suffer, so don't fear. Rather, they put the suffering in perspective. So don't fear, first of all, because hostility is normal. If Jesus did everything right and yet was rejected and crucified, why should we expect a trouble-free life if we are his students and his servants? We should expect to be treated as our teacher and our master was treated. He was treated unfairly. They accused him of being in league with the devil, Beelzebul. It's no surprise that we are also painted as the bad guys because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus says, do not fear them. This is normal. This is the way. Secondly, he says, don't fear because the truth will out in the end. Verse 26, do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. The world, of course, makes judgments based on misinformation and partial truth. But God's judgment in the end will be based on the whole truth about all of us. And so therefore we need to be as open with the truth as we can. Verse 27. This is what we believe. This is what Jesus is all about. This is who we are. We need to proclaim it from the rooftops. Because Christians have nothing to fear from the truth. And we, we will have our day in God's court in the end. So this leads to, thirdly, don't fear because God's wrath in the end is scarier than any worldly threat. It makes no sense to choose God as our enemy instead of the world. Because God is a far bigger threat than anything, anybody here. Verse 28, the worst thing that any person can do is to kill the body. 
but God will destroy both the body and the soul of his enemies in hell. We shouldn't fear people compared with God. Um, Fourthly, he says, therefore, don't fear because every detail is in God's hands. It's a fearsome prospect to have God as your enemy. But if you have God as your friend, then you can be assured that you are in his hands. If If God watches over each and every sparrow, he will certainly be watching over each of his children. And if God has numbered the the hairs on each of our heads, then he is very keenly interested in us and the details of our lives. This doesn't mean he's going to steer us around trouble and hardship. Clearly his plan is to steer us right through the middle of trouble and hardship. But we can know that he knows what he is doing in our lives in great detail. And he has our best at heart, so we shouldn't fear. Now, of course, this is very easy to say and very hard to do. Don't fear. Um, if someone is standing over you about to kill your body, um, then you're going to be scared. Uh, or if your parent or your child is threatening to hand you over to death because you're a Christian, that is going to be troubling. Or if the whole of society thinks you're a very bad person because you're a Christian and you can't get a job because people know you're a Christian, well, it's going to concern you. It's natural to fear the cost. But Jesus is speaking in relative terms here. Don't fear the cost more than the consequences of turning away from Christ. That's a bigger deal. Don't fear the cost so much that you run away from the cost if it is God's will for you to suffer for Christ. You need to face the suffering. And so in the third section of this passage, verse 32 and following, Jesus gives us a challenge to keep choosing Christ. Are we going to choose Christ and eternity or are we going to choose the world and a bit more ease here and now? And that choice defines us as Christians. We are people who choose Christ and who choose the long view, choose to see eternity. Christians need to learn what is called delayed gratification, in other words. there was a famous experiment in 1972 called the marshmallow experiment. You might have heard of it, um, in which children were given a marshmallow uh, and told, if you don't eat this marshmallow before I come back, then you will have a second marshmallow when I come back. And so then the researcher left the room for 15 minutes and left the kids sitting there with the marshmallow on a plate in front of them. And uh, you can watch footage of kids doing this experiment on YouTube if you want to and the facial expressions, and um, uh, it's quite cute. So they look at the marshmallow, and they pick it up, and they sniff it, and some of them lick it, and they pick little bits and eat them, and they play with it, and they hold it in their hands. And some of them, of course, eat it in the 15 minutes, but others wait in great agony for the the person to come back. Uh, The original experiment in 1972, apparently they followed up with these kids 40 years later to see what became of them. And the ones who were able to delay gratification as children were so much more successful in life 40 years down the track, whatever that means, according to the researchers. Anyway, being a Christian is an exercise in delayed gratification. Um, We suffer now like sheep among wolves, and we submit to that. But the eventual reward outweighs the cost. Jesus is urging us here to keep choosing well. Firstly, because it's about eternity. In verse 32, he says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 
But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Every Christian is called to testify to their faith. Now, of course, there's room in verse 32 for moments of weakness and failures of courage from time to time. But if faith never owns up, then it's not real faith. So we need to keep thinking ahead towards Judgment Day. Is it going to be important on Judgment Day that I stand for Christ now? And Jesus says very clearly, yes. You need to think about the greater Judgment Day in front of God than this small Judgment Day in front of people now. So it's about eternity. Secondly, it's about allegiances. Jesus says in verse 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Once again, he goes on then to talk about division within families in verse 35 and following. And he quotes from Micah 7, where um, the nation had slid off course and people were being called to come back to God and choose between faithfulness to God and, and corruption. Sometimes conflict is the only option. If the price of peace is that God is ignored and no one is saved, then we have to opt for division and conflict. It's just not worth denying eternal truth for the sake of worldly peace, even peace in our families, according to Jesus. Verse 37, he says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The pain of these decisions is part of the cost of following Jesus. Verse 38, it's part of carrying your cross. Verse 39, it's part of losing your life for Jesus and saving your life for eternity. The pain of these decisions. It's also part of our witness and part of God's mission as we make these decisions in view of others. So thirdly, it's about others. If we stand clearly for Christ, then we become the means by which others meet him and are reconciled to God. In verse 40, Jesus says, Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. You don't have to be a prophet or a righteous person to be a representative of Christ. Even his little ones are his ambassadors in verse 42. So if someone sides with us because we're Christian, even just by giving us a cup of cold water, then they side with Christ and they gain the reward of being with Christ, which is eternal life. And that's why we need to be very clear about where we stand as Christians at these decision moments. Jesus divides there's no middle ground. You're either with Christ or you're apart from him. And people need to see in us how to side with Christ. So this is not just about us and our salvation. It's about our witness and it's about others as well. All this talk about conflict and division and choosing Christ over family might sound very harsh and cruel. But we need to remember that there is grace running through all of this. Sin has messed everything up. The ship is sinking. If anyone's going to be saved, they need to get off the ship. They need to be separated. And being rescued and extracted from this world was always going to be messy because we rightly have attachments with this world and with people in this world. 
There is God's kindness running all the way through Jesus' words here. Because not only is Jesus saving us through this process, but when we make the choice, Jesus uses that witness to show others that he matters and eternity matters. Jesus sends us out as sheep among wolves uh, to show the world how much he matters in the choices that we make. And that witness saves people. So we need to be as shrewd as snakes and know what we're doing and know why it makes sense and know how to commend the gospel in the choices we make and the words we say. And we also need to be as innocent as doves. Our heart's in the right place. We want the best for others, not just ourselves. And that's why we make our choice for Jesus clear and we sacrifice when we need to. So uh, we need to pray for for clarity and strength in all of this. Uh, So I'll lead us in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we we ask you that uh, you would give us that eternal perspective, uh, the wisdom to choose rightly and the courage to do so. Uh, Lord, when there is a cost to being a Christian and it's a personal cost, Uh, It's very hard to make that choice, but we pray, Lord, that uh, you would enable us to do so and that you would use that witness uh, to save people who even initially might be hostile to us. Uh, Please help us to show our loved ones and the world what it means to live for Christ uh, in the choices that we make as well as the words that we say. And help us to see eternity very clearly. And we thank you for your kindness Uh, which is behind this plan. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.